Philippians 4.14, where we have, we're using as a theme for this year, what is your life? Five of the singular most important words that constitute one of the most important questions that you will ever ask in your life. Philosophy is based on that one question right there. Jeremiah 24, 6 through 7, for I will set mine eyes on them for good. And I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. And I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord and they shall be my people. And I will be their God and they shall return to me with their whole heart. And uh, these incredible promises of God that I think give us great insight into the very nature and thinking and heart of God. And then a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think it was, I introduced this text, Daniel 11 and 32. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out exploits. All, uh, there was a movie out not all that long ago, uh, uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Does anybody remember that? You ever read that book? Everybody has in their mind a secret life where they are radical and bold and daring and they are a world changer. They are an achiever. We have been talking about building your dreams. Your dreams. The, the business that God wants you to to launch that will be a kingdom business, the dream of a family that is close and well connected and loves each other, stable finances, good health, all, all of the other things that matter, strong marriage, all of the things that matter in our lives. We've been talking about building the dream. Last year we concluded the Build a Dream campaign. And just to bring you up to date, we're still walking through that pre-approval process, which shouldn't take much longer. Um, and once we get approved, then the only thing that is stopping us from building that, that building is once we reach that target amount of money we have to have for the bank to loan us the money, we, we're going to get going. And so I want to thank you so much for your giving and your commitments. Just continue to give and, and continue to help us pray for the sale of of one of those corners of the property because as soon as we get that money and have that pre-approval process in place, we can begin. Amen. So we are, we're walking through it. But we concluded that program and kept the same slogan, only we changed the middle word there from build the dream to build your dream. And our dream as human beings is going to require supernatural involvement on the part of God. I want to talk to you about that. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out exploits. And would you bow your heads with me for a moment and let's pray. Father, I ask you today, as I have mentioned a while ago, to help us to have minds that are alert and cognizant of what is happening, what is being spoken not intellectually, but what is being communicated at the level of the spirit. For the, you said the words you speak are spirit and they are life. Any of us can pick up a dictionary and know what any one word means and how to string them together and what that means in the context of a sentence or a paragraph or even a talk or a lecture or a sermon. 
to really get the benefit of what you are saying is an altogether different matter. For that, we need you. And I'm asking you to help me to both speak with that kind of an anointing and for you to give our people today that kind of understanding. And everybody said, Amen. I want to talk about how to manifest your destiny now, part two. And so a couple of things that I want to just establish. It'll take me a few minutes to do this, but it's important that you understand the construct. If you don't understand the construct or, or the foundational premise, then what I'm going to say is going to slip right over your head. If anybody, listen closely, stops and thinks seriously about it and believes what is written in God's word, God is all about making dreams come true. Now, now think about it. Would you agree with that, yes or no? And yet I would venture to say that if you were to stop 100 people on the street and ask them that very thing, upwards of 90% of them would disagree with you. Or they might say they agree, but in their hearts, upwards of 90% of them would not fully believe what they've just said. We have been socialized into a religious structure, a culture, uh, teachings. We've been taught in universities, in schools. We've been taught so many things that are contrary to that that it actually makes what I, I said a, a moment ago become questionable in your mind. And yet, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that what I just said is completely true. God himself, when we could not do it, God bridged the gap and came down to this earth because we could not ascend to where he was. God came to us offering life and that more. You see my point? What drove God to do that? Our hopes for success, a happy family, sound health, prosperous living, thriving business, close relationship with our heavenly father tight-knit family that loves and trusts each other, has one another's back. When you really stop and think about it, every single one of those themes that I've just mentioned are clearly written in the Word of God. And the Bible teaches its followers to pursue those things and teaches them they will further find them in God. Everybody has dreams. I've been stressing that for your dream to become a reality, you can't just dream it, though. There are people who somehow have this gift of magical thinking, no disrespect meant, and they think that if they can just dream it, it's going to happen. Wish. <laughs> I wish. You've got to see it, which is to have a clearly defined vision. Know what the end product is that you're working toward. See it vividly, whether it's your business or your education or your family, your relationship with God. You've got to know where you're going. And secondly, you've got to learn to speak life to yourself because so many people speak death. You not only have to see it, you have to say it. And then thirdly, which is where I am now, you have to pray it, which is this divine component that enables us to get to the point that our dreams can become a reality that we never would have been able to achieve without his help. Of course, then there's pay it and play it and stay it and sanctify it. We'll get to those later. But I've been pointing out that prayer is a divine partnership with God. I think, and I really do believe this, that prayer has been mistaught. 
I, I really think so. I think we've picked up the, I think we've, we've, we have embraced concepts of prayer that in my personal opinion are anti-biblical. I illustrated that last Sunday in the Easter service by putting that check in the Bible. It's already in there. And yet when we pray, we feel like we're having to twist God's arm and to talk him into doing what he already signed the check for. Already put it in the word. And we even blame God. And in the illustration that I gave last Sunday, I pointed out, if you weren't here, I hope you'll forgive me for making reference to that that you haven't seen. But just get the, if you go to the podcast or something, you'll see it. But, but uh, we, we even make it a problem with God, blame God for it. When it's really, he's not the one we have a problem with. The issue is with the enemy who's trying to steal it from us. Prayer is a divine partnership. I, the longer I serve God, the more I read in the Bible, the more I am convinced that there are things that God intends to have happen in the lives of believers that we often do not see made manifest. We don't, we don't realize them in our lives. I think most of us, forgive me for this, and it's a broad statement, and I understand that it's a broad statement, but I think most of us live beneath our privilege. I really do. And I think it's because we either don't pray or we pray not understanding what prayer is. And we think, well, does it matter if it, we understand what it is or not? If we pray, won't it work? No. Everything in the kingdom of God is predicated upon faith. And if you don't know what you're doing and you don't understand and have revelation of what you're doing and believe that it will produce the result that the Bible speaks of and you're just going through the road process, it doesn't work. Prayer is a partnership. Jesus taught that. The model prayer in John and, and, and Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, your kingdom come. He said, this is how you pray. You pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe personally that when God gets ready to do something, what he does is he first puts his people to praying for that thing. Just, would you think about it for a moment? And then I'm looking now at Jeremiah. There's this incredible passage in the book of Jeremiah where uh, Jerusalem uh, is surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar's army. The Chaldeans and Babylonians have come, and they're about to overrun the city of Jerusalem. Judah's about to be absolutely wiped out as a national entity. City's going to be destroyed, raised to the ground, that just totally wiped out. People are going to be carried away into captivity. And then in the middle of all of this, watch this now, uh, you can look over the wall and you can, they've been in siege now for a number of, uh, of months, extended months, and supply routes into the city have been cut off, no food's coming in, people are dying of famine and disease, living in qu close quarters and uh, without adequate sanitation, and they can't even bury the bodies. And w can you imagine the horror of living there and disease is now spreading from unburied bodies and Jeremiah and the others, for he was the prophet that was in Jerusalem at the time this was occurring, um, they're, they're all looking at this, knowing that any day their city could fall, and this is what happens. One of Jeremiah's cousins comes to him and tells him, man, do I have a deal for you, bro? I mean, I've got, you know my property that I've got? I, I decided I wanted to sell it, and, and you're my cuz, you know, and all of that. And I want to sell it to you, and I'm going to sell it to you. Get this at 50% of what it's worth, or some ridiculous offer like that. 
and uh, just you, man, because, uh, you know, you and I have been so close, and he hadn't seen him in years, and, you know, kind of, almost that kind of a thing. And Jeremiah knows that his own cousin is running game on him, and God tells him, buy it. Buy it. And Jeremiah is astonished. What do you mean, buy it? I'm the guy you've been using as the prophet to tell these people they're going to be carried away into captivity. And Jeremiah goes into a prayer. And this is the prayer. You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror, meaning terror has scared the people that tried to oppose them half to death. When God gets behind you, the devil gets afraid of you. Amen. And you have given them this land of which you swore to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. And this is the prayer Jeremiah is praying after his cousin tries to sell him this property, right? And, uh, and, and they, you, they've done nothing you commanded them. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Look at the siege mounds, God. See all those? They've thrown up these earthen battle works. And they've got, I mean, they, they've dug trenches. And our city is about to fall. They have come to take the city. And the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence. And what you have spoken has happened. Where there you see it. God, look. Look, the city's about to be overrun. And he said, you're telling me, buy the field for money and take witnesses and go take the title deed and bury it, which was their custom, in an earthen jar, that clay jar. And yet the city has been given to the Chaldeans. This makes no sense to me, God. Now, let me just pause there for a moment and give you a little more context. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. When you read the book of Jeremiah, he says a lot about things like tears and so forth. He is watching the nation of Israel have their dream repossessed. It records a story of how God has patiently, throughout the prophets, gone to, Israel, or gone to Judah time and time again saying, if you will repent and so forth, you can get back on the right track. And right there is where a misunderstanding comes in. Now, I need, I need to take a moment to flesh this out. Many people think that what God was about to do was, I am mad, I am God, you have upset me, and you're getting ready to pay for it. They totally misunderstand God. God is a judge. Now watch this. You go to any court, the judge doesn't make the law. The judge is there to simply tell you what the laws are, and so forth, and the court decides whether the law has been violated. In similar fashion, the universe has been set up and programmed into this world in which we live or already built in the principles of success. Hear what I'm talking about. You don't have to, to go, go and create a principle for success. You find the ones that are already there. What I'm teaching you about, see it, say it, pray it, Pay it, play it. Those are principles of success. You won't ever get anywhere if you don't learn those things somewhere in the course of your life. You just sit around and dream? Uh-uh, it's not going to happen. you got to go beyond that. Help me out and somebody say amen. 
What God was doing was warning Israel, you've gotten off the right path. The road you're going down right now, the bridge is washed out. And I love you so much, I can see into the future. And I want to tell you that decisions are always irrevocably connected to to consequences. You're making some decisions that are going to result in painful consequences. And I care so much for you, I'm here to say, hey, time out, guys, turn around. But they would not. And finally, Jeremiah is the last in a series of prophets, and he weeps because he sees of what is happening to Israel. And the people all of the time are ignoring the word of God, putting even the prophets God has sent to them in prison, even taking their lives and killing them. And what people like to do, if I can say this, under inspiration of the wrong information, you hearing? They like to blame God for really what God didn't have anything to do with. Not God's fault the bridge is washed out and we went down that road. God said, hey, turn, turn. Go this road. And people say, oh, that's a bad God. You have a whole world out there that believes God is, is sitting on his throne, angry, ready to judge them. And all in the world God is doing is saying, I love you so much. I want to bless you. The principles of life and success are already programmed into the world. And if you're walking down a path that's going to lead to pain, I could just let you go, but I don't. I care so much about you. I'm standing out here saying, wait, guys, go a different route. And the result is he's getting tagged for it like it's his fault. And it's not. He's the one who cares enough. He's trying to position us a different way. I really do believe, and I have to say this again, I'm getting to my point here very quickly, that God is all about what is all about wanting what is best for humanity. I really do believe that. It started out that way. He created man and put him in the best place on the planet. Tell me God doesn't want what's best for us. Psalms 23 and 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Read the rest of the verses of this same chapter. They're full of similar declarations. Uh, He leads me beside the still waters, Uh, makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, What about this one? Prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Oh, that sounds like a God that's looking out for me. Amen. Or Psalms 35, 27, let the Lord be magnified who has what? Pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Some folk would give you the idea God's happy when you're struggling. That's not what the Bible says. Or this one, Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Or John 10 and 10. I have come. You couldn't go, but I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Or what about Romans 14, 17? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. God wants your heart to be overflowing with joy and peace. 
That's contrary to what some people teach and believe. Your destiny, your, your dream matters to God. And there's a reason that it matters. Number one, he loves you, but on even a more practical level, and this is not his motivation, but I, I think we can discern that if he loves us, that, that it also just makes good sense for him to bless us. Amen. Because our success and happiness become the best advertisement the gospel has ever had. Think about it with me. You think anybody wants to join what you got? Get what you have when you walk? How's life? Oh, I'm just struggling to get through. Well, thank you. Have a great day. I'll see you. Bye. Amen. They want to go to a church like that? No. They want to go where people are blessed and happy. and they want, to, they want to see reflected in those who are attending what they hope to have happen in their own lives. Amen. Amen. Our success and our happiness and our fulfillment is the best advertisement Jesus could ever have. Have you ever noticed, though, that there are very few things in life that are supposed to help you without side effects. Have you watched some of these medical commercials? We're going to help you with this. And then you watch the rest of it and you say, my God, I take that, I'm going to get cancer, have suicide, depression, get a divorce. My dog will even roll over and die if I take, I mean, seriously, I brought one of those commercials with me this morning. I want you to see it. They, and, and, and this is not the whole commercial, but they spend 15 seconds in the commercial. It's a 60-minute commercial. 15 seconds are spent talking about the benefit of the product. I'm not joking. The next 45 seconds are spent telling you the danger of the side effects of the medication. Watch it and tell me. I'm sorry to mention this one, but it's, they all are like this. Watch. When taking Lunesta, don't drive or operate machinery until you feel fully awake, walking, eating, driving, or engaging in other activities while asleep without remembering it the next day have been reported. Abnormal behaviors may include aggressiveness, agitation, hallucinations, or confusion. In depressed patients, worsening of depression, including risk of suicide, may occur. Alcohol may increase these risks. Allergic reactions such as tongue or throat swelling occur rarely and may be fatal. Side effects may include unpleasant taste, headache, dizziness, and morning drowsiness. And what? Well, that makes me want to run down to the pharmacy and get a bunch of that right now. You know? I mean, it's going to do everything but make your hair fall out. This, but people will buy it. What I'm, my point is, is that if you find a product that really helps you even with side effects, Many people will still buy it. What I want you to understand is the gospel has no bad side effects. This is the easiest sale in the history of the world. Nobody feels any, any, any pain or, you know, you know, sleeplessness, depression, thoughts of suicide. Your dog wants to run in front of a car even, you know, and just, it, it, that doesn't happen whenever you, you find Jesus. Amen. Proverbs 10 and 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Oh, somebody ought to shout amen. The word makes one rich literally means it is the causative agent for our increase. 
No sorrow in the Hebrew meant no earthly trouble either of body or mind. There are no negative side effects with the gospel. That is why I'm telling you, you get connected with Jesus, you will notice in the Bible that people's life always begin to start, begin to start moving up once they connected with him. Whether you're Abraham or you're David or no matter who you are, once Jesus hooks up with you, your life is better from that day forward and continues to improve. Amen. In fact, the Bible even goes on to say that it, that it is the goodness of God which leads us to repentance. What's supposed to happen is God's whole position is I want to bless you. I want to make your life better. And you say, but I thought God was a judge. That's what I'm trying to tell you. The principles of life and success are already programmed into this world just like gravity is. God isn't sitting up there with his arms folded, ready and angry at you, ready to stomp on you because you, did, you ignored his word. When it said that he is the judge, it means he has the unfortunate task of telling you, I'm sorry, you're going down the wrong road, the bridge is washed out, go down this one, but if you don't, that's what's going to happen over there. I live in tomorrow before tomorrow gets here, I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. And we turn around and blame God for it. Don't do that. You ought to thank God for loving us enough that he helps us to understand what will work and what will not. And in this 32nd chapter of Jeremiah, the nation of Judah, the tribe of Judah, the 10 tribes have already been separated and gone, but the nation of Judah finds itself in this catastrophic circumstance where they have ignored God, and they're now surrounded by this army that has, as I said, cut off supply routes into the city. It's horrific. People have been dying, bodies swelling, bloated, lying in the sun, diseased, rampant, and people starving to death. And right in the middle of all of this, God comes tells, and tells Jeremiah, your cousin's going to come try to run game on you and sell you his property because he can see the handwriting on the wall. Duh. And I want, I want you to do is buy the property. And Jeremiah is actually protesting to God. But wait a minute, I'm the prophet who told him this was going to happen. You're making me look stupid. Why would I buy my cousin's property? He's going to go home and tell his wife and the rest of the family, I told you I had a stupid cousin named Jeremiah. Amen. God was literally telling Jeremiah, this is not the end of it. It isn't the end. You can bank on my promise. Because God told Jeremiah they're only going to be in captivity for 70 years. Amen. Jeremiah 25 and 11, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, for thus says the Lord... After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. And this is where that verse comes in that I quoted a while ago. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Well, what, I, what he's saying is, I don't care how bad it looks right now, Jeremiah. Don't make your decisions based on how bad things look. Because I'm a good God, and I'm going to get you through this. I can promise you that. And Hallelujah. And I know the thoughts that I have towards you, think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. 
and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole with all your heart I will be found by you says the Lord I will bring you back from your captivity when go back to verse 10 after 70 years are completed at Babylon I will bring you back from your captivity, I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. What God is saying is, I know your cousin thinks you're crazy. He thinks that when once you're going out of here and this city is destroyed, you're not coming back. But I give, gave a word. I said that this is your land forever and your inheritance. You're coming back after 70 years. Now, Jeremiah was the boy prophet. When he was just a lad, God appeared to him. And I'm not really clear if Jeremiah understood that he would be alive at the end of 70 years or his descendants would be alive that would be among those that would return. But the bottom line is God was saying, I want you to buy up this property from your cousin because 70 years from now your family is going to be wealthy. And you can take my promises to the bank. I'd just like to say this right now. If God said it, you can believe it and you can bank on it too. Amen. But that brings me to the point that I want to make about prayer and what I need to say about, I think that maybe prayer has been presented to us from the wrong perspective. After God, notice what God had happened. God had declared it. You've gone down the wrong road. The bridge is washed out. You're going to be carried away 70 years into captivity. That's the first thing. Okay, but then I'm going to bring you back. And so Jeremiah sees it. Watch this. God declared it. Jeremiah sees the vision that God has painted, and then Jeremiah begins to say it. But the next step in the process is somebody has got to pray it. Mm. That's where I'm coming from right now. And Daniel prayed it. He prayed for what Jeremiah had already prophesied. When did this prophecy come to pass? Watch this, Daniel 9, 2 through 3. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And the question in my mind immediately arises, if God said it, why pray for it? This is because, as I'm trying to point out, the dimension of prayer that we have not grasped fully is that prayer is a divine partnership. God says it, but he needs somebody on earth to begin to pray it. You pray, Father, at thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, how long did Daniel pray? He prayed until he broke through. Notice what happened, Daniel 9 and 21. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision... At the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reach me about the time of the evening offering. Verse 23 says, at the beginning of your supplications, the command... Oh, God, have mercy, do I feel that. When you started praying, the command went out. That's at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. 
Watch the way that it unfolds. Stay with me, ladies and gentlemen. Hope we don't have any sleepwalkers right now. Amen. Watch it close here. God said 70 years. 70 years came and went. But when did God issue the command for them to return to their homeland? When Daniel began to pray, at the beginning of your supplication, the command went out. Sometimes we don't get what God wants in our lives because we haven't begun to pray what God has declared over our lives. Oh, I need somebody to help me. Come on, I need somebody to get a hold of this right now. And he says, for I've come to tell you, you are greatly beloved. Now, Daniel could have deduced the opposite. Here I am carried away into captivity. My city has been wiped out. My country has been destroyed. Seventy years we've been in captivity, and you tell me I'm greatly beloved. Just tell somebody, I cannot judge about what God thinks about me. Tell them, I cannot judge or determine what God thinks about me based on where I am right now. You hear what I'm saying? Don't you make a conclusion about what God has determined to do in your life predicated upon where your status is at the moment. I don't care what Facebook says. You got a status that's different from that. And you got a heavenly status that God has already decreed over your life. Now watch it. Gabriel says from the moment you begin to pray, God gave the command. He was waiting on something. He was waiting on somebody to stop complaining and somebody to begin to pray what he had already decreed. Uh-huh. Now that requires something because it requires for you to pray the promise, you got to know what the promise is to pray. You hear what I'm talking about? That's why you can't go to church one Sunday out of a month and feel like your life is going to substantially change. Hello, I didn't say that, did I? Yeah, I did, and I make no apology for it. God wants to help you. You need to help yourself and understand what it takes to get to the next level. Did Daniel's prayers work? Wow, did they ever. Look at this. Our numbering system, our mathematical system is predicated or based upon uh, a system where numbers have certain values and every, every decimal point is equal to 10 times uh, the amount of what went before it. First decimal is ones, all the way zero through ten, uh, nine. Second decimal, uh, 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 10 through 99, right on up the line. And so what you have is the, 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 the first decimal represents a single digit, multiples of one. The second digit represents multiples of 10. Third digit represents multiples of 100. Fourth, multiples of 1,000 and so forth. I'm probably boring you to death unless math is your favorite subject, but stay with with me. Look at somebody and say, are you sleeping yet? Amen. But it is, this has a profound impact on everything we do in life, whether you believe it or not. I'm serious. That's one reason our government and the banking industry and Wall Street got in so much trouble here not long ago. You can't simply conjure up money from nothing. Math is the basis of everything that we do. And they were owe money this and leveraging. And, and look what the mess they made out of our economy for seven or eight years. You can't do it. Watch it now. This is, it is this math concept I'm talking about, which is why we have 10 cents and a dime, 
a hundred cents in a dollar, thousand cents in ten dollars, right on through the multiples of ten. And this is also why, in to show you how it applies in terms of calendar years, we have what ten years to a decade. 10 decades, each of 10 years to a century, 10 centuries, each of 10 times 10 to a millennium, and so forth. Metric measures of weight and distance are also based upon this principle as well. Here is what I want you to understand. And by the way, this system that we have, if you're interested, it came from the Romans, who in turn got it from the Greeks, who in turn borrowed it from the Egyptians way back in antiquity. So it's been around a long, long time. You might mistakenly believe that every culture bases their math upon this. That's not so. The Sumerians, for example, based it up theirs upon a, a system where six was the number that was designated in multiples. And the Jewish people, the number is seven. Now I'm getting ready to talk to you. Look at your neighbor and say, hang on to your seat. <laughs> Amen. Because when the angel shows up, to talk to Daniel, this is what he says. It's rather complicated, but he says, Daniel, essentially, this is verses 23 and forward, 24, 25. He says, 70 weeks are determined upon your people. Hmm. Now, we look at that and we think 70 weeks. Well, that's, that's 70 times seven days, right? Uh, no, wrong. They had what they called, instead of a decade of 10 years, they had what they called a week of years numbering seven years. Now it's going to get juicy here. Okay. All right. Amen. Just, no, don't tell somebody what I was getting ready to. You don't even need to know that. Just say, it's going to get juicy. Would you do that? Amen. Daniel 9, 24 through 25 tells us that after 69 years, uh, he said, from the going forth of the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem, 69 weeks, rather, I, I said years, I mean 69 weeks is going to pass by, or seven times 69 years, because remember every day they had a week of years, which is seven years in each week, okay, not a decade of 10, seven. So, all right, you have 70 years, that means 70 times seven, or 490. But God explains to Daniel, and this is where the math, you got to watch it close. Okay, 69 weeks are going to transpire from the time the commandment goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem. I just issued the command. And sure enough, when Daniel was praying, Artaxerxes called for Nehemiah, his cupbearer, and said, Nehemiah, come here. Here's some letters. I want you to go be re rebuild Jerusalem. Who prayed it? Daniel prayed it. Jeremiah saw it, hello, and spoke it. Somebody's got to pray it now. Uh-huh. And so Daniel is visited by the angel Gabriel. When you begin to pray, God declared it, sent the commandment out from that commandment. Now you jump forward 69 weeks of years. What's, again, at seven years to a week of years times 69. Math is simple, 483 years from now. The Messiah is going to come. Do you know what is amazing? Exactly 483 years after Artaxerxes issued that command, a guy was baptizing some folk in Jordan River. His name was John the Baptist. And he looked up and saw somebody walking down the side of the hill and shouted, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And Jesus walked down in the water, 
and began his ministry exactly 483 years after that commandment had been given to rebuild Jerusalem. Now there's some other details. It goes on to say he'll be cut off in the middle of, the, of a week, which means after three and a half years. How long did Jesus minister? Three and a half years. And then he was cut off or crucified. Here's the point that I am making. When God declares it and somebody prays it like Daniel did, somebody's going to experience it. Amen. That's how you put the promises of God to work in your life to manifest your destiny right now. You not only see it, you've got to say it and correct your self-talk and speak life rather than death, but then you need to pray it. And to pray it, you've got to know what God's word is for your life. Here is what I, and I want you to get this because it's important. I've got to get this across to you before I leave this point. God sent an angel to explain what he was about to do to further inform the man that was praying that was going to make it happen. Sometimes you don't just need to see it and say it. Sometimes when you pray, God will send a word of revelation and help you understand. Now... As I mentioned, to move into that dimension where you're no longer living in expectation, but to actually receive the promise, you've got to pray. And so how do you pray? You mean you, you pray we're like, like, like we've been taught, oh God, please help me, God. I'm going to fast. Let me twist your arm like I was illustrating last Sunday. That's not how you pray. You come boldly through the throne of God, knowing what the mind of God is, and you speak God's purposes and plans back to God. What I am declaring is there is no more powerful form of prayer than when you pray the word of Almighty God. And when you pray his word, you're praying what is already settled in the heavens. And this is why this book has changed my life. I'm not praying about hypotheses and conjecture. I know God wants to bless me because he said, I'm going to bless you when you come in and bless you when you go out. And uh, I know God wants my life to be enriched because he delights in the prosperity of his servant. And I know it's God's plan to open heaven over my life and pour out blessings because he said he would bless me in all spiritual places in Christ Jesus. And oh, Turn to somebody say, it's already in there. Would you do it? So why pray? It's because he needs an earth partner. He needs somebody to begin to ask him to do what he's already spoken and said he would do. And the moment you open your mouth, when you're praying what his word is for your life, God says release it. And I mean angels start moving in the, 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 the stratosphere and things begin to happen. With this pattern in mind, what should we do? We should partner with the God in our prayers. Never again should we look at prayers and action where we're trying to persuade God to do what we need to be done or to even change his mind. We should rather look at prayer as the very thing that God has been waiting on so he could act. Here's what I am going to conclude by saying. That you don't even know what could be happening in your life right now. 
if you could just figure out what the Word says and begin to pray it. And I am convinced as I begin today by saying most of us live beneath our privilege. At least 90% of Christians live and die and never see the full manifestation of everything Jesus came to give them. Why? Because even though he put it in his word, they haven't prayed it into their lives to make it happen in this dimension. What do we do? Isaiah 45 and 11, thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, ask of me. Things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands, you command me. That's in your, uh, I, I noticed that nobody said anything. That's in your Bible. See, you hadn't read that yet. Read it. I want you to get the, wrap your tongue around these words. You, you, you want to work with me now? Okay, I want you to get used to praying. I told you I've got to change the way some of us think. And I, I felt the plow dig way down. I, I, I felt somebody put on their brakes right then. You mean I can tell God what to do? If it's in his word, yes, you can. Amen. <laughs> Thus says who? Oh, wait, wait a minute. Thus says who? Oh, who, who are we talking about now? The Lord, the Holy One of Israel and Israel's maker. Read it with me. Ask me of things to come concerning my sons. Have any sons and daughters of God here today? Have any children of God in this building? And concerning the work of my hands. Anybody need God's hands to get involved? You need God to do something that you're not able to get done? Do you need supernatural help? Do you need supernatural assistance? Do you need a God to show up? Do you need God to suddenly arrive on the scene and speak a word to circumstances that are not coming together? That's in your Bible concerning the work of my hands. Say it. Command. You command me. It seems audacious. It seems, it seems almost arrogant, but what God is doing is helping us to understand that we're his earth partners. Look at this. It's repeated in the New Testament, 1 John 5, 14 through 15. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know That he hears us. Whatever we ask that is in his will. What is his will? You don't get any more pure uh, will of God than his written word. Amen. So if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, say it. We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Anybody have a petition? Anybody have a promise that hasn't been fulfilled yet? The world waits for us to pray and partner with God so that God can go about doing what he wants to do. Romans 8 and 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. 
The world is in trouble. They need God's children to stand up and manifest their identity as God's earth partners and begin to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And this is why in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, Paul says, Pray without ceasing. Now, I've got to deal with one more objection before I'm done, and you know what the objection is. But if I don't pray it and God has said it, won't it happen anyway? Well, let's just look at the Scripture, James 4 and 2. You want to read it out loud with me? Come on, read it out loud with me. You do not have because you do not ask. The check is in the book. If God said it, you can go to the bank. And guess what happened? At the end of 70 years, Israel, the tribe of Judah did return back to their land. And Jeremiah's descendants went back, found that clay jar that he had put that title deed in, dug it up, opened it up, pulled the title deed out and went to the bank and they were wealthy from that day forward. You can depend on God to keep his promises. I don't care how dark it looks right now. If God said it, pray it. Amen. I'm going to say it again. If God said it, pray it. If God said it, pray it. I dare us to wake up and begin to pray the promises that God has spoken over our lives. The Bible is filled with them.